So we have two readings tonight. The first one's in Ephesians on page 1173. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incom incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head of everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The other reading is from Luke chapter 7 on page 1036, starting at verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, and so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who'd lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we begin. The psalmist says this, I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. 
We praise you, Heavenly Father, that your word gives life. And we pray, Father, that it would do that this evening, that as we hear it, that we would understand it, that we would apply it, and we would live it out. And we ask for your help in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't you just love this woman in Luke chapter 7? Don't you just love her? Isn't she just a hero of the faith? She speaks no words throughout the whole passage, and yet her actions speak volumes. She didn't know success in a conventional sense. She led no armies. She fought no battles. She did no amazing speeches. And yet, she's remembered in the most famous and most popular book in the whole world. There's nothing special particularly about her. The only comment about her is her sinfulness, and yet she receives praise from Jesus Christ. Do you just love this woman? Isn't she just a real hero? You can imagine, can't you, Simon's excitement at Bagsy and Jesus for his dinner. You can imagine him telling his friends and his friends telling their friends, and it, it being the talk of the town that Jesus is coming to dinner with Simon. The evening comes around, the, the stage is set, the meal is laid out, the candles are lit, uh, and the, the dinner starts off well. Jesus has turned up, they're just getting through the prawn, uh, prawn cocktails, and, and conversation's flowing nicely. But then suddenly, there's some commotion in the background. Simon thinks to himself, is it, is it something with the servants? Have they dropped the dinner? Has something gone wrong? But then it gets a bit louder. And a bit louder still. And it, it turns out there's some sort of argument going on in the background. And then suddenly, halfway through the meal, this woman comes straight through and sits at Jesus' feet. We don't know who she is. We're just told that she's a sinful woman. And she starts weeping hysterically. Her tears flow down her face. They flow onto Jesus' feet and... and in the confusion, she, she dries them with her hair. She pours this perfume on his feet. I mean, the social awkwardness is unimaginable, isn't it? You could cut the atmosphere with a knife. Eventually, the protests start. Does Jesus not know who this woman is? And then, in an amazing twist, Jesus turns to this woman, of all people, and says she is a model for us. Do you see that verse 44? Then Jesus turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, did not stop kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured out perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. She loved much. If you're a Christian, it's hard to imagine anything greater than Jesus Christ looking at you, seeing your heart, and saying of you, you loved much. And that is what Jesus does to this woman. She loved much. She is our model. She has got the right response. And the question I want us to ask this evening is, how do we love like her? 
How do we love Jesus much? How do we spend our whole lives devoted to Jesus Christ like this? We're in a series called Battles Christians Face. We've been thinking about the big challenges to us living as a Christian in contemporary culture. And this week, we're on the topic of spiritual freshness. Now, if you're like me, there'll be points in your life where you feel quite fresh, where God feels close, where you feel pretty devoted to him, you, you want to be with God's people, you, you love talking about him, and you, you, things feel pretty good. But then you'll know there's those points where you go down on the roller coaster, and things start to feel a bit dull, God feels far away, you struggle to meet with God's people, and if you hook up the monitor on your spiritual health, it's starting to flatline. We all go through those different periods, and we all ask that question, how do we stay spiritually fresh? Maybe you're here this evening, and you're, you're not a Christian, and so this kind of question of spiritual freshness is, is not something you've particularly thought about or asked. I mean, it's not something you've, you've kind of tasted for yourself. But yet you've spotted in other Christians something different. You've spotted that there's a kind of richness to life. There's something different in their family life. There's some sort of freshness, and you wonder where that comes from. See, there's all sorts of ways we could be asking that question this evening. How do we stay spiritually fresh? How do we keep going with Christ day by day, month by month, year by year, decade by decade? And it is the issue that's raised in this passage, because this woman models to us spiritual freshness. I think that's what spiritual freshness is. It's to love Jesus much, and it's exactly what this woman does. To love Jesus much, to, to retain that sense of devotion to Jesus Christ in our lives. That's what this woman does, and that's what we're going to think about. So, how do we love Jesus much? Well, let's look at this woman's model. How do we love like Jesus much? Uh, how do we love Jesus much? Well, Jesus tells us why this woman loved much. He tells us in a parable. It's in verse 41 there. Two men owned a certain moneylender. Uh, one owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them uh, will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one with the bigger debt cancelled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Two students go to university. Uh, one student uh, went to university last decade. One student goes to university today. Both have debts. One owes the government £4,000. One of them owes the government £40,000. The government decides to cancel the debt of both. Which one will love the government more? It's obvious, isn't it? The one with the larger debt. That's not going to happen, by the way. Uh, the one with the larger debt is going to love the government more. And it's an obvious picture, isn't it? The lender in this parable is God. And the two, money lend uh, the two borrowers are Simon and this woman. Simon with the lesser debt, the woman with the greater debt. And notice both of them have a debt. Both of them need their sin forgiven. That's our greatest need, the Bible tells us. And notice that both of them can't pay it back themselves. It's a very interesting detail, isn't it? 
Again, the Bible tells us we can't get ourselves out of our own situation. But the amazing truth is that God forgives them. The money lender wipes the debt clean. And the key thing I want us to see is that one of them loves more. Jesus says that. One of them loves more. What makes a difference? Why does this woman love more? Well, because she understands just how much Jesus has forgiven her. You can imagine, can't you, that the woman, I guess she would have heard about Jesus on an early occasion. Perhaps she went out to visit Jesus as he came to to a village or town to, to speak to her. And you can just imagine her going into the crowd and hearing this preacher from Nazareth. I guess he told her about her desperate need, her sins, and the judgment she would face before God, and she felt condemned. But then Jesus told her about the salvation he has come to bring. And you can just imagine her heart warming inside her. Someone like me can be forgiven. And then I guess she heard that this dinner was happening at Simon's house and she thought, I've got to thank Jesus any way I can. And she clambers into the house and she weeps at his feet with thankfulness. See, the difference between her and Simon is that she understood just how much she, she, she was forgiven. She understood how big a debt she'd run up and the fact that Jesus had forgiven her. And here is the crucial point I want us to see this evening. To love Jesus much, to stay spiritually fresh, is to understand Jesus. Love comes from understanding. That's what makes the difference between this woman and Simon. Simon doesn't understand just how much sin he's committed. He doesn't understand the forgiveness that Jesus brings, but yet this woman does. Now, I use that word understanding very, very carefully. So hear me right on what I mean and what I don't mean. I don't mean by that love comes from lots of knowledge. There's not kind of an automatic thing where we put information into us and then love comes out. I don't mean that. Actually, love in this parable, in this story, is taking that knowledge in and applying it to our heart. That's what I mean by understanding. Love comes from understanding. Now that might surprise us, I think, this kind of link between love and understanding. And that's because I think we misunderstand love uh, in our culture. See, I think some people describe love as a kind of fatalistic force that we don't kind of have control over, that it kind of drifts into us, it it might drift into someone else, and and there's no sort of saying for where love's going to come or go or how we're going to feel from one day to the next. Now, it is true that God causes us to love him. But it's not the same thing as saying that we're totally passive. Actually, God gives us means of loving him more. He gives us means of grace to do that. There's also this misunderstanding, I think, that love and understanding are two ends of the spectrum. That that, that understanding is a kind of mind-thinking thing, and love's a kind of heart thing that you can't really control. But actually, that's not true in your experience, I'm sure. Just think of the people that you love or the people that love you. Do you not grow in your love as you understand them more deeply? I know I do with my kids. My kids are very young. And as I hear their little personalities developing, I love them more for it. 
as I understand them more. See, love comes from understanding. See, when I went to theological college, I've just come out of college, um, a lot of people warned me about the danger of theological education, that you can be overly academic and it kind of zaps all your zeal as a Christian. And that is true. There is a real danger of that, if anyone's thinking of that. You, you have to be wary of that. But actually, through God's grace and through his um, patience with me, he actually, the, the opposite was true. That it was as I understood more about Jesus Christ that I loved him more. See, love comes from understanding. Now, that raises a big question, doesn't it, for us? How do we grow in that understanding? If, if, if being spiritually fresh is, is loving Jesus more, and if love comes from understanding, where do we get this understanding from? How do we do it? And for that, we want, I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. So please turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, which is on page... 1173. I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 1 because here is Paul writing to a church and he wants this church to grow in their understanding. And for this next part of the talk, we're just going to get very practical and I want us to see how he goes about helping the church to grow in their understanding. I want us to see three things. First of all, I want us to see that understanding comes by prayer, understanding comes from scripture, and understanding comes in community. So understanding comes by prayer. This whole section that Graham read out is one big prayer. Have a look at verse 16. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul prays that they would know him better, that the spirit would give them understanding. It's quite a thought, that, isn't it? Here is the Apostle Paul. I mean, just imagine what Paul knew. His, his knowledge of the Bible the insights into culture he could have given, the things he could have said, the knowledge he has, and yet here is Paul on his knees praying that the church would understand. Why? Because he realises that understanding is an act of God. It's not just information input. The Christian life's not just like reading through Wikipedia articles and absorbing the information but actually, it's a changed heart, and God changes the heart. He helps us grow in understanding. And if it is a work of God, well, then Paul prays, and we need to be praying. To stay spiritually fresh, we need to be in prayer. Now, I realize as I say that, it is very, very easy to condemn people. You've only got to ask people how their prayer life is, and people feel really rubbish about themselves. They, start looking at their feet and, and feeling uncomfortable. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to ask you, how could your prayer life be healthier? How could your prayer life be healthier? It might be that you've never really got into the habit of prayer. You, you pray in emergencies, but, but apart from that, you really hardly pray. And it's worth saying, if that is you, that prayer is a battle. And actually, prayer is a little bit weird. I'll explain what I mean by that. Before, as a Christian, no one really explained to me that actually prayer, sitting in your room on your own, speaking, 
does feel a little bit odd. It does. But actually, as I understood, as people explained to me, that, that God is actually there with us. He dwells in us by his spirit. Then it becomes more normal. It's like talking to a person who is there because he is there. It might be you've struggled with prayer. I think we all do. It's worth saying that prayer doesn't have to be really formal. You don't have to say set prayers. It is just speaking to your Father who is in heaven. But having said that, formality, I think, does help. Um, my love to my wife's quite natural. It, you know, it comes quite naturally. But we do put in formal things like date nights and I have to speak to her and that sort of thing to kind of help. With that. You'll be surprised. But yeah, I have to do that to... Uh, to help with that relationship. And so personally, I try and, um, in the mornings, follow through a prayer um, list. Um, over the years, I've changed it up a bit, and I think it's good to change things around. I, I followed the Acts thing, if you come across that. Acts, adoration, praising God objectively for who he is. C, um, confession, bringing our uh, prayers of confession to God. Uh, Thanksgiving, T, um, giving thanks for for answered prayers, things God has done in our lives. S, supplication, praying for myself, my family, my, my church family, and the needs of the world. That's a good model to follow. I used to do that. I went away from it, and I've gone back to it now. Uh, you could pray through the Lord's Prayer, taking a sentence uh, of the Lord's Prayer and praying it through. Lord, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name in Basingstoke. Hallowed be your name in my workplace. But it's not just those formal prayers uh, that's a good thing to do, but it's not just that. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray continually. It's a real challenge to me. So spontaneous prayers we can do. Apparently, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a big preacher from the last century, um, said that he would never resist a prompting by the Holy Spirit to pray. And it's something I've tried to do, but I've failed. But I'm going to try again. But I've heard of other people um, setting reminders to pray, having uh, things at work. I mean, perhaps you don't want to put a huge banner across your monitor saying pray now, but something that triggers that thought in the day. I've heard of people sticking stickers on their watches. Anything that helps remind us of our dependency uh, to pray. It's good to pray with others, to meet with friends, to, to come to the church prayer meeting. If we believe... If we deeply believe that understanding of Christ comes from God, then we will commit to prayer. We need prayer. Secondly, understanding comes from Scripture. There's a wonderful balance in this prayer. Um, Paul doesn't just pray for them, but he tells them what they need to know. Have a look at verse 18. Paul says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Do you see what he prays? That they would know the hope, the inheritance, and the power that's at work. But verse 19 goes on. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Do you see what Paul's done there? He's prayed that they would know this power, and then he's told them what this power is like. And he does that throughout this letter. He talks about the hope, and then he explains what that hope is. 
He prays that they would love Christ more, and then he explains the love of Christ. And it's a wonderful balance, I think, here to show us that actually he prays that they know these things and explains what it is they need to know. It's like two wings on a plane. Both are needed. Since I started here at St. Mary's, um, one of my jobs for the first few weeks is to to try and get to know some of you guys. Um, Apparently, that's a good thing to do. And how do I do that? Well, I guess you come and speak to me and you explain what you're like. And I explain a bit about my life and what I'm like. And, and over time, as we do that, we get to know each other a little bit better. Well, it's the same with God. The same with God. God has told us what he's like in the Bible. He's revealed to us what we're like. And so if we to, to grow in understanding of him, we need to be in Scripture, listening to his voice. So Christians... It's really important to keep an open Bible. Keep an open Bible. If you're not regularly in the Bible, I doubt very much you'll be spiritually fresh. One of the habits that uh, older Christians got me into, and I'm really thankful to them for it, is is daily Bible reading. Now, I fail miserably at this. I'm not a good example. But but that kind of instinct uh, was instilled in me when I became a Christian. I mean, we're all used to habits, aren't we? We're all used to habits for things that we think are important. We, we all got dressed this morning. I think so. Yes, I can see you've all got dressed this morning. We, we all brushed our teeth this morning, I'm guessing. We all had a shower because we think those things are important. What about listening to God's voice? Is that not worth setting a habit to do? For me, I try and do that first thing. It has to be first thing in the morning before the craziness of the day starts. I have to have caffeine. And I have to go into a room on my own, away from the kids. There are different ways we could do that. We, there are Bible reading guides. There are Explore Notes. We, you can download the app for free. They're brilliant. I've used those in the past. I know lots of people have benefited from those. Come and ask some of the staff about other recommendations. But there are Bible read-through notes. If you've got a bit of time, there's how to, notes that help us read through the Bible in a year. They're great. At the moment, things are a bit crazy for me, so I I just read through a chapter a day and try and pray in response. It might be that things change, and I think it's really good to just sort of change things about quite often. It might be that your lifestyle changes, that you become a mother or a father and you need to do a bit less. That's okay. It might be that we struggle to read. And it's worth remembering that for the early church, lots of them couldn't read. But there's all sorts of resources to help us. There's recordings of the Bible we can listen to. I think a great thing to do as a minimum is just to think through what we've heard on Sunday, perhaps taking each point for each day of the week. Whatever we do, we've got a great gift in the Bible. We've been given a a, a wonderful thing here. Let's make sure we keep it open. Finally, understanding comes in community. We don't keep spiritually fresh on our own. It's hard to tell in the English, but the, the you through this section is plural, so it's like saying you lot. And notice what Paul says in verse 22. He says this, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Christians 
are not loners. You might feel that way, but you're not. You're brought into a new family. You're brought into the church, which is the body of Christ. Just turn with me to chapter 4, verse 15. He says this. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. Do you see that? We speak the truth in love, and together we build ourselves up into the head, which is Christ. It is a corporate activity. Staying spiritually fresh comes in community. I think we struggle with that as a culture. I think we struggle because we primarily think of ourselves as individuals. Just think of your Facebook profile when you're filling that out. What does it ask you? Favorite films? What are your favorite films? What are your favorite tastes? What do you, where do you work? What books do you like? It's all very individual. The kind of corporate identity comes second. But as Christians, we can't think of ourselves like that. We are part of this new family, this new society. And if we're to grow up in Christ, we do that together. I don't know if you come across that old illustration of coals. Um, do you know the one, you've probably heard it before, that, that coals burn when they're all together. When they, when they stray off and they're on their own, they go out. And if you've ever done a barbecue, you'll know that's true. And if you've ever been part of a church, you'll know that's true as well. So I want to ask you, are you committed to the community of believers? I guess if you're here this evening, that's kind of answered my question. But I don't want to take that for granted. There, there will be times in your life where you find it difficult to keep committed. Perhaps people let you down. Perhaps you let them down. Will you stay committed? You might be here this evening and you're a little bit on the fringe of church. Perhaps you don't come very often and this is a kind of one-off. God doesn't intend you to live your life on your own. He intends you to be part of community. So will you prioritize being part of the community here? Will you prioritize being here on Sundays? It's easy, I think, with modern life to get wrapped up with weekend stuff and, and forget the Sunday meetings. But it's really important we do so. God hasn't designed us to be self-sufficient. He's designed us to grow in community. So friends, how do we stay spiritually fresh? Well, we love Jesus. How do we love Jesus more? Will we grow in understanding? How do we grow in understanding? By prayer, from Scripture, in community. I wonder what step do you need to take today, this evening? Perhaps it's something you did in the past and you've kind of drifted from it, you've got out of the habit. Perhaps it's something new. Perhaps it's making that phone call to arrange to pray with others. For me, um, I was really challenged by that 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 verse in 1 Thessalonians, to pray constantly, and that's what I'm trying to resolve to do. I wonder what it is for you. Before we finish, I just want to mention one thing. There is a real danger with um, practical talks. I think they're really helpful, but there is a danger. There's, there's two traps we can fall into when we hear a talk like this. First of all, we can feel quite beaten up. We feel, oh, I've not read my Bible, I've not prayed as I should, and we feel really miserable. Or we feel really proud at what we've achieved. Both are wrong responses to a talk like this. 
because both look to ourselves for confidence. But where does confidence come from? Luke chapter 7 tells us, doesn't it? It comes from the moneylender who freely forgives debts. See, because of Christ, God looks on you with all your failures, with all my weaknesses, with all your inability to keep yourself, and he forgives you, and he commits himself to you. And that is true, my friends, whether you feel spiritually fresh or spiritually dull. It is important to think about how we keep spiritually fresh. But as we do so, we need to keep looking to Christ for our confidence. Robert Murray McShane, a famous preacher from the past, said this, for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Let's pray. We praise you, Heavenly Father, for the forgiveness that you give. Thank you, Father, for this woman who understood that. Help us, Father, to learn from her. Help us, Father, to put into practice these things to help us stay spiritually fresh. We pray, Father, that you'll help us to do that in the right way, with the right attitude, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.